ีค่ะยินดีต้อนรับเข้าสู่ Bangkok Off Stage Podcast Thai English รายการแรกที่จะพาไปเจาะลึกแวดวงศิลปะการแสดงในกรุงเทพ Hello and welcome to the Bangkok Off Stage Podcast the first bilingual podcast on the Bangkok performing arts scene I'm Gelta and I'm Amitha For most of this season, whenever we interview artists and producers, we could not escape the topic of the pandemic and how it's affected their works. So, in this episode, we turn our attention to the people in arts media and how they've been affected by this global health crisis. The thing is, we've always wanted to interview people from Arts Equator, a digital media platform founded in Singapore in 2016 that covers the arts in Southeast Asia. It's a platform of quality arts journalism and criticism that we've always admired. We just didn't expect to be interviewing them when they're facing the possibility of folding due to the economic impact of COVID. After the Singapore National Arts Council denied Arts Equator further funding that would cover operations for the next three years, Arts Equator launched a campaign called "Save Arts Equator" to raise money to stay afloat. We speak to co-founder and managing editor Kathy Rowland and editor Nabila Said about Arts Equator's current situation, what it's like to run digital media platform about the arts, and the place of critics in the arts ecosystem. This episode is in English. ในซีซั่นนี้เวลาเราพูดคุยกับศิลปินหรือโปรดิวเซอร์นะคะเราก็แทบจะไม่สามารถหลีกเลี่ยงเรื่องโควิดและผลกระทบของโควิดต่อวงการศิลปะได้เลยในเอพิโซดนี้เราก็เลยมาพูดคุยกับคนในวงการสื่อศิลปะวัฒนธรรมและผลกระทบของโควิดที่มีต่อวงการนี้กันบ้างค่ะจริงๆแล้วเราทั้งสองอยากคุยกับ a r t i c u a t o r มานานแล้วนะคะซึ่ง a r t i c u a t o r เป็นสื่อออนไลน์เกี่ยวกับศิลปะแขนงต่างๆในภูมิภาคเอเชียตะวันออกเฉียงใต้ที่ก่อตั้งเมื่อปี2016ในประเทศสิงคโปร์ a r t i c u a t o r เผยแพร่บทความและบทวิจารณ์ด้านศิลปะวัฒนธรรมที่มีคุณภาพจากนักเขียนทั่วภูมิภาคแต่เราก็นึกไม่ถึงว่าเราจะได้มาพูดคุยกับทีมงานในตอนที่ Arts Equator อาจจะต้องปิดตัวลงจากผลกระทบทางเศรษฐกิจของวิกฤตโควิดค่ะหลังจากที่ทาง Arts Equator ทราบนะคะว่าจะไม่ได้รับทุนต่อจากรัฐบาลเพื่อนำมาใช้สำหรับการทำงานในอีก3ปีข้างหน้าทีมงานจึงได้ตัดสินใจจัดแคมเปญระดมทุนที่มีชื่อว่า Save Arts Equator เพื่อที่จะต่อชีวิตสื่อออนไลน์ด้านศิลปะนี้ต่อไปค่ะเราได้พูดคุยกับผู้ร่วมก่อตั้งและบรรณาธิการบริหารแคทตี้โรเลนและบรรณาธิการนเบลล่าไซด์เกี่ยวกับสถานการณ์ปัจจุบันของ Arts Equator การก่อตั้งและบริหารเว็บไซต์ด้านศิลปะและตอบคำถามที่ว่านักวิจารณ์มีตัวตนอยู่จุดไหนในอีโคซิสเต็มทางศิลปะเอพิโซดนี้เป็นภาษาอังกฤษติดตามคำแปลได้เร็วๆนี้ที่เว็บไซต์ worldwideweb.bangkokoffstage.com ค่ะวอลค์คัมบัตอฟยูทูแบงคอกออฟสเตจวอลค์คัมขอบคุณขอบคุณมากที่คุณใช้เวลาของคุณค่ะค่ะและนั่นคือการเริ่มต้นของคำถามแรกค่ะเราเห็นในโลกออนไลน์ในอินเทอร์เน็ตว่าคุณกำลังจัดการโปรเจกต์เซฟอาร์ซิควาเตอร์คุณจะเล่าให้เราฟังเพื่อคนที่ไม่รู้ว่าอะไรกำลังอยู่กับอาร์ซิควาเตอร์ค่ะว่าคือโปรเจกต์นี้คือโปรเจกต์ที่ไม่ให้เราหยุดการเปิดปิดอาร์ซิควาเตอร์จะจัดการ Um, in 2016, and we actually had three years of government funding, which helped us to really grow quite a lot. But um, our grants were—we were not able to actually get further grants uh, this year. We found out just as COVID hit that we were not going to get any more grants from the state. Mm -hmm. And uh, then, with COVID, of course, all of our other income streams also kind of really trickled down. So. 
we're really facing a bit of an existential kind of crisis, I guess, a threat. And mm. um, one of the things that we thought about was, you know, we would kind of go back to the community to say that, you know, we needed support and we needed mm-hmm. urgent support. So that's why we launched Control Safe Arts Equator. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anything you'd like to add, Nabila? Um, yeah, I think, I think um, part of the interesting thing about Arts Equator is that we do consider ourselves quite uh, like an independent media. But mm-hmm. of course, that unique thing where we do get government funding mm-hmm. and the fact that we don't have that funding anymore, it, the reason why I think it affects us so much is we are supporting the arts community, right? Mm-hmm. And if for to pay writers, for example, mm-hmm. we don't want to, we don't want to um, keep up the number of articles, but not pay the writers. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like there's that whole, like wanting to support the community, but then not wanting it to kind of like go back to a, 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 a time when people were not being paid to do, to do that writing, for example. So mm-hmm. it's trying to do both things at once. And, mm-hmm. and um, that's why we need to, that's why we're trying to raise more funds, essentially. It's not just about like saving us. Yeah. And uh, how much is it from government funding? What's the percentage from government funding versus other sources? Do you... we, when we receive, so the grants that we received would have covered maybe about um, 30% of our <laughs> running costs. Uh, sorry, excuse me, 70% of our running costs. And we then raised the other 30% through other means, through other mm-hmm. grants as well. Um, mm-hmm. But there was this uh, something called the SEED grant, which the National Arts Council of Singapore offers. And it's mm-hmm. a three-year grant. Um, yes, so that that's kind of the amount that um, we lost. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're hoping to raise... We're, what our target at the moment is, is 25000 Sing, Singapore dollars mm-hmm. yeah. and because we are a charity um, the Singapore government then will match that dollar for dollar oh, okay. so yes so we hope to raise 50,000 Sing dollars oh, I see. so how is the feedback so far it's been really good actually we raised very quickly um, we, we've just hit 15,000 I should just say that when we first started off our target was to just raise 15,000 mm. dollars but the response was very good and our board of directors then kind of spoke to us to say that maybe we should raise it um, because our initial amount of 15000 was really like a stopgap to kind of just get, get us over, you know, like three mm-hmm. or four months. Mm-hmm. So, um, and we are now 60% of the way to our final target of 25%, uh, 25000 <laughs> My math is bad. <laughs> <laughs> I've noticed that you guys have been so, maybe it's just, uh, maybe I'm wrong, but you guys have been so much more prolific and very creative during COVID. Like all the things that you came up with. Nabella, you've been really prolific with Corey. Um, did the crisis force you to become creative or was it just, mm. or you just became creative because in times of crisis, because like some people are. It almost seems like a chicken or egg thing, <laughs> because because I feel like um, like all of us, um, I guess not just in Singapore, right? But we're always like multi hyphenates, right? We're trying to do all these things, mm-hmm. and even with Arts Equator, we've always been trying to do more stuff, like let's say on social media. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the larger thing that we were trying to do, maybe subconsciously, mm-hmm. is like connect back with the community. Mm-hmm. 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 And maybe like we used to try to do it more with the website, for example, mm-hmm. but 
COVID because um, we were not reviewing as many shows because they were not mm-hmm. yeah. good, right? So we were thinking like, okay, like what what else can we be doing? Because mm-hmm. we because in a sense like we are we are quite niche, right? We are like commenting on the arts or mm-hmm. we're writing, arts, but you don't only want to be negative as well. You don't mm-hmm. just want grieving over like theaters being closing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with let's say that IG series with mm-hmm. the uh, which character. Yeah be kind of thing it was really to kind of celebrate um mm-hmm. arts but also connect um like cre- tap on those connections within the region mm-hmm. uh, sometimes you get a bit busy and, and those things maybe like you don't get to do it as much because of like other things i suppose yeah okay um let's go back a bit to kakisani mm-hmm. um kathy can you talk about how um Starting that versus starting Arts Equator, how are they different? Um, um, yes. I remember being really impressed by Kakiseni. I oh, met one of the writers at the Singapore Arts Festival in like 2006, 2007, and I later read her uh, review of um, her review, and I was just like, wow, this is such great quality writing. It's amazing. And I feel the same way about Arts Equator. She, I, rem- I remember I met her one year and then the next year, another person from Kakisenio said, oh, she's gone to the U.S. already with her husband. Oh, forgot okay. her I forgot her name, but she was really good. Yeah. Okay, great, great. Um, so, yes. So Jenny and I, who are also the co-founders of Arts Equator, we started Kakisenio in Malaysia in 2001. Mm-hmm. And at that time already, Art pages were transitioning uh, in the mm-hmm. newspapers. They were transitioning much more to lifestyle articles, mm-hmm. and it was very hard to get information about shows in in KL. This was before social media, right? So either you would be part of the inside group, and so you would know that there would be this play that would be running for three days at this venue, and you would see it, or you would be, you know, you would you would just miss it completely. And so we were really kind of we used to go for everything, Jenny and I. And so we said, well, we wanted to set something up that would help arts companies to publicize their shows and to also provide then readers and audiences with event listings and information and reviews. And, and really, it was, it was just this gap that we felt. We ourselves felt the gap. And so that's how we, we launched um, Kakisani. And I think from the start, we always had the same idea that writers had to be paid. So we didn't really want to kind of support the arts by exploiting, you know, mm-hmm. artists or writers themselves. Mm-hmm. So even back then, um, when people were blogging and a lot of people would still, still believe in this idea of, well, I should write and I should write for free to get the exposure. Kakiseni was already paying all of our writers. Um, and then we launched something called the Bo Cameroonian Art Awards. Bo Plantations is a very old um, Malaysian company. It's a tea company. And they came on board as the sponsor for the Arts Awards, which we set up in 2001. And actually, the Arts Awards are still running in, in Malaysia now. So that was really how, um, you know, Kakisani came about. Um, starting Arts Equator in Singapore was, again, the same thing. Jenny and I kind of talking about, I moved to Singapore from Malaysia, and I, I could see that Singapore had a really, quite a sophisticated and very developed arts um, ecosystem and infrastructure. There was enormous amounts of um, investment, both in terms of like spaces and works, but also in people. So the Singapore government had actually spent a lot of money sending a lot of uh, Singaporeans overseas to get training. So you, you had really a lot of talent and a lot of product, 
But it was quite surprising that there didn't really seem to be um, like a really solid critical space for reviews. The Straits Times, which is the main newspaper, had been doing it, but already we could see that that was already slowing down. The other thing I really wanted to try and explore was this idea of the region because there was just there were just so many interesting things that were happening in Southeast Asia. But um, I mean, as we all know, we're just so much more atomized, right? We just tend to either know what's happening in our own space or else we're looking outside of Asia, right, for our mm. reference points. So those two things, I think, really kind of pushed us to kind of um, start arts equator and we also missed working with each other we missed working in the arts um, and we we just felt there was an opportunity to start something similar i will say that in singapore it was much easier to set up the legal structure so i mean i think i registered arts equator as a non-profit in a couple of hours online oh. and we are we're now a charity we've already officially got our charity status in malaysia it was impossible i mean it, mm. it was really impossible infrastructure wise it was impossible to set up as an as a non-profit mm. so we operated as a company um private limited although we were oh. we never made a profit we were always operated as a non-profit mm. <laughs> yeah. is it a better yeah. structure you find to operate as a non-profit mm. Yes, yes, it is. It is, it is, um, it's a bit, <laughs> okay, so it is much better to operate as a non-profit and as a charity because it means that you can tap different kinds of grants and funds. Mm -hmm. So that really helps. But being in Singapore, the drawback then is that there are lots of international grants. Well, there are, there are not a lot, but there are significant international grants for the arts. But because Singapore is seen as a highly developed um, economy, most times, even though we are a charity, we're not eligible to apply for those international grants. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, which, I, yeah, which, you know, which is, can be an issue. Um, in Singapore, the Singapore government, government is the main, it's the biggest funder of the arts. Whereas when we operated in Malaysia, Kakisani was largely supported by the private sector. Mm -hmm. I see. Mm -hmm. Was it, oh, okay. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Is it yeah. easier to get private sector to support you in, in Malaysia? Yeah. When I was operating there, yes. Yeah. We, we had very good relationships with a lot of multinational companies that yeah. were, they were multinational companies, but they were headed by Malaysians um, who really saw value in supporting us and what we did. I, I'll give you an example. We had a very, I mean, a, a really big international bank who wanted to give us money when wow. we were in Kakisani. They, they, they loved our programs and they wanted to give us money, but because it was an international brand bank and because we were registered as a company and not a charity, they could not give us money. <laughs> wow. So it's, you know, so nice. you, you lose both ways. Yeah. Mm, yeah. But we, we did get, we did get a much more international, um, sorry, private sector support when mm. we ran Kakisani. Ah. Mm. Nabila, did you want to add something to that? Or, yeah. No, I was about to say like maybe was it because at that time in Malaysia maybe the funding arts funding system was not as because I think now there's um Chindana in yes yes which does funding but maybe at that time that it wasn't there at I don't know yeah no you're absolutely right things have changed uh, a little bit in Malaysia um, and so now there is the, the, well there's Chindana which um, which Nabless mentioned which is actually a private kind of company but it, uh, sorry private non-profit but it actually has got money from the government to disperse so it's a grant giver 
and they've got some really good programs. And there are also now several foundations. So private sector companies that have set up formal foundations like Sandabi Foundation, for example, and Creator Foundation that, are, that have entered the art space. So it's becoming a little bit more uh, formalized and there are more opportunities, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in terms of structure, how do you like form the arts equator? Like, to be purely online or you, you, you know, recently we have seen like you have many like offline you know, activities, yeah. so many of them like you know, the mentorship program and the Asian Arts Media Roundtable that we both just joined last year. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, can you talk about that? Um, yeah, I think, you know, you, you just, I think it's impossible to just run something just online. You know, you, you need the human interaction. We're all feeling yeah. it with COVID, right? I mean, all of this yeah. is great, but we're all just dying to kind of be together in the room. Totally. Right. Uh, yeah, you know, and, and so I think the, the platform and in the online, um, the website and our social media accounts are fantastic for dispersing information, for, for kind of um, amplifying what's happening in the arts, for building critical spaces. But offline projects are very important to us because um, one, for example, when we run our public programs, the offline programs help us to take the arts message outside of our core readership, people who are already subscribed to our newsletter who know about us, right? Um, so that really helps. Um, the other kind of programs that you've mentioned, so these are projects where we, we go outside of Singapore, we, we cover events that are outside of Singapore, mm-hmm. or we've organized um, you know, international programs where we've brought critics into Singapore to kind of talk about shared experiences and so on. Those are very important for us because I see it as part of our advocacy, our role, you know, in trying to advocate for this idea of, of art writing, art criticism, art journalism, and to kind of build this sense that, hey, you know what, this is something that we need to start paying a lot more attention to. And um, so projects help us to achieve those goals. Mm-hmm. And how have been like the feedback so far of like the offline project? Um, well, of course, I'll have to say it's very good, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's good, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> no, okay, well, yes, we've had, I mean, the, the response has been, the feedback has been good. People have hmm. said that they have learned a lot, they have benefited a lot when we run our mentorship programs. And all our programs, and we're just, we're just running some courses now in dance and book and theatre reviewing. Wow. And we've, it's all been oversubscribed, so we've had to turn people away. Wow. Um, yeah, so I think there is a need. I mean, it, it's, it's not so much that what we're doing is so fantastic. It's just that there really is a need. Mm-hmm. And those courses, they're attended by people from the region or mostly Singaporeans, Singaporeans. and Malaysians? Yeah. Because the courses that we're running now are funded by the National Arts Council, they were commissioned mm. by the National Arts Council, so they are only open to Singaporeans and Singaporean PRs. Mm. Um, but, you know, we've got, so now that we've created the courses and created the modules and, and, and so on, we could in future open it up, you know, so run another course um, and open it up to the region. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like, why do you help like arrange the mentorship program? Like, is it hard to find the art critics in the region and in Singapore itself? So, I actually, think, and this is a generational thing, right? I mm-hmm. when when I first kind of, you know, I was writing already in the late nineteen nineties, and when we set uh, Kakisini up in the early two thousands, it was really difficult to find 
good writers, mm-hmm. actually. You'd have a few that were really good, but they were so in demand, it was really hard to get them to meet deadlines and so on. And, um, but now I find that there are so many strong young critics compared to 20 years ago. And I think unproven completely, mm-hmm. completely speculative. But I think it's because the millennials have grown up with blogging. Mm. You know, I mean, there's a kind of certain kind of, you know, kind of person who, who likes the arts, but not just likes the arts, but has been able to channel that, you know, through blogging in embarrassing teenage posts when they were young, you know, yeah. uh, <laughs> right, Nabila? Um, <laughs> um, but so, so I think there is a kind of facility with critical thinking. Critical thinking seems to be almost second nature because I think your generation just has grown up reading cultural products in a particular way, you know, from, you know, um, from the way that, you know, you interact with, with, um, with pop music, the way that you interact with film, the way you interact with um, popular culture, and then of course now with memes and so on. There's, there is just this, it's almost like breathing when I talk to young people and the way they, mm-hmm. they respond to things which mm-hmm. I find for my generation of critics a lot of us have a background in in literature or or at the most mm-hmm. you know cultural studies right mm-hmm. and that's the later ones so sorry it's a very long answer <laughs> so, so, so um to say that one I think that that young that we actually have a lot of talent and there are a lot of writers um the issue really is actually creating opportunities for them to write. So creating the Mm -hmm. platforms for them to write and for them to be paid. Mm -hmm. And then to come back to your question about why we run mentorship programs. If things, you know, were the way they were 30, 20 years ago, um, you know, a reporter would have, uh, you know, a a young graduate would have joined a newsroom. They would have been put through the training. They would have received training, you know, on the cultural desk, on the art desk, and they would have received that training, right? And then they would have moved on and through it. But um, since those systems actually are no longer in place, I think our mentorship program is, is, you know, again, something that fills in a gap, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. As an editor, Nabila, what do you do to make, like, the voice as diverse as possible in, in commissioning stories or in commissioning? Is it difficult to, to do that in Singapore or in the region? I don't find it difficult because I think our, our team is really diverse already. Mm. So I, I find that, I mean, of course, we, we always like, everyone has biases and stuff. So you do have to continually like check yourself. Mm-hmm. But I, in terms of like the writers that we think about or that we are already in contact with, like we do have a diverse uh, pool. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes we try to like, um, we also work with like very young writers at times who we want to like try out. And um, so for me, the diversity is also making sure that different voices, um, like it's not just about like maybe uh, race or religion, but mm-hmm. also like age and mm. of reviewing that they do. Mm-hmm. So, so maybe they're very experimental or, you know, they, they want to explore like writing a review in the form of a poem or something. Wow. Um, like, mm. or Kathy, but for me, like my, my appetite for it is very, like I, like, I love things like that. Mm-hmm. So, so in terms of diversity, like I really want the voice to be like, if, if it can, like as weird and wacky, because, because I think like, to what Kathy was saying, it's like, 
um, the, the reviewing voice or space is like democratized in a way, but it shouldn't be like, oh, you have to write in this way, right? Because that's not trying to do. It's also about nurturing the voice and that voice can be as loud or as soft as, you know, um, as possible and, and to make that space like really rich. So for me, like ever since I joined Artsy Creator, like that's what I've been trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it, it's been quite nice to like uh, match the production to like the reviewer to see, mm-hmm. not necessarily like in a, the most straightforward way because sometimes tensions can also be interesting. Like right. you know, someone has never reviewed and a dance production. You know how how would they review it? So those diversities are also interesting. Mm. Um, mm. So when we talk about the arts ecosystem, um, how much do you think arts journalists and critics are? consider part of the ecosystem. Um, do you think we are the often neglected breed in the ecosystem? Like, you know, people don't talk about as much or we're not, you know, really considered part of it? Or, and if that's the case, how do we re- remedy that, do you think? For either of you. <laughs> um, Napula, you wanna take this or? <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> I can take it if not. <laughs> Thinking about how, um, I was doing some research about like how reviewers, um, there's this book that's uh, published by Clarissa Un, who's a reviewer from the Straits Times uh, and she was very long before she left. Uh, and it's a book just about like uh, arts media and how like, I mean, she was from the Straits Times, so it was mainly about how the Straits Times wrote about the arts. But um, there was a reviewer from the 60s or 70s um, and she was interviewed like, you know, like more, more currently, but she was saying how back then people were like complaining about how reviewers were too negative you know like not supportive of the arts or you know kind of seen in a like adversarial role compared to the artists like really opposite ends and sometimes it seems like it gets better and you feel like yes we're part of the ecosystem but sometimes it's like depending on what's happening or what's in the air like a reviewer can be seen as like the enemy um and kind of it yeah, sometimes it depends on like how the wind blows. So during the, I mean, during this like pandemic period, because of how people were, you know, trying to do work online and trying to do something new to them, um, it didn't happen to us. But but um, there were some reviews that came out in the Straits Times, and people were really upset about it because they were like, "How can you be critical during this time when we're all doing trying our best?" You know. And on one hand, like I understood why. But on the other hand, I was like, oh, wow, like, you know, like that artist versus reviewer kind of like polarity was coming back. And, and mm-hmm. that, made, that made me feel like a bit uncomfortable as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kathy, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, no, like, you're talking about Hannah Pandian, right? I think that was the... No, no, was it wasn't it? Hannah Pandian. It was someone before Hannah. Oh, okay, okay. Mm. Um, I, I think, I do think that, um, so not so much art... Ju- kind of you know critics or journalists but just generally this idea of arts journalism and and platforms for art writing i think it is overlooked because if you read any kind of policy document from most countries um you almost never find mention of this particular kind of you know like you know programs or an awareness that we have to support art critics and art journalists and art publications and there are really hardly any grant programs or programs to develop criticism. I mean, it's changing, I think, over the past maybe three or four years, but before that, no. So, um, and I think 
the way to remedy it is just to kind of keep writing and kind of adding value and doing good work, mm. you know. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Do you feel, uh, do you sometimes wonder whether people need it anymore, feel the need for it anymore? Mm. Do you sometimes wonder that like, because now we can promote ourselves, we can write reviews yeah. on Facebook. Yes, for sure, for sure. I think that I think that the role of let's say an arts publication like Kakisani, which was to try and help to market the arts, I don't think that's no I don't think that's any longer a an absolute necessity. I think the channel between the artists to the audience member is much more direct. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think I do think that having a critic, an independent critic that talks about the work and it's not about them being an expert but in a way it's about them following and having um, and investing time and, and career and a long kind of you know relationship with the artwork and the artists in the arts community mm -hmm. I think that's where the value is that they they will write with a sense of history um, and even if they're new they're committed then they're going to write with a sense of the future you know mm -hmm. um, and I think that is very important. Is it hard to find critics or writers that you think will be committed in, um, in the long term? Or you, you don't I, know, you can't yeah. know that? Look, um, the, the people that we've met just in, 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 the, you know, in the past four years that I've met, I mean, I've just met so many incredible people who, who write and want to write and are really invested in it. Mm -hmm. I think, though, that if there is no way to, for them to make a living out of this in some way, then yes, we will lose them. Mm, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what do you think about the arts media in Southeast Asia in general, like before and after the COVID-19, like we are we all like affect the same, you know, that affect just the same, like, because that's like you mentioned in your article, you know, in this um, safe uh, project, safe as a creator that like, the criticism today now has turned to be like like more like lifestyle contents like the calendar yeah. news and yeah. you know no inside stuff like purely pr pieces do you think yeah. like it's still there or is it worse than after during the COVID? oh gosh i i um i think that some publications like tempo in indonesia um even Streets Times has, you know, actually in some ways expanded some of its arts coverage. You've mm -hmm. got things like uh, Mekong Review, The Edge in Malaysia, which covers visual arts. So I think that there are still publications that will continue. Um, but yes, I think that COVID is affecting every sector of society, you know. Um, and I think that we are going to very soon start hearing about media publications that are really cutting down mm. or closing and Southeast Asia is vulnerable because you know the yeah. a lot of the countries in Southeast Asia are developing countries so we're a lot more vulnerable yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, I just wanted to add um, like I feel like it seems like in the region and this is like based on the Asian arts media roundtable mainly, mm -hmm. but also like larger conversations that we've been hearing. Like mm -hmm. it seems the arts and people who are writing about the arts, a lot of times were not being paid for it anyway. And a lot of times they were drawing on their own like, you know, labor and, and, and mm -hmm. love for the arts. And during this time, I mean, I'm, I'm not 
super sure if if they're cutting down because they're trying to do i mean i'm intuitively i think i think so because everyone's like focused on survival mm. but but yeah so I, I don't know whether after this whether they'll come back i think that's the scarier bit to think about if if the whole time you're doing it is because you were pushing yourself to do it right and if something happens like with this pandemic and then after that mm-hmm. it makes you not want to write anymore then that to me is like a super big tragedy as well because it tells me that it killed like a part of you that has been doing something just for the pure love of it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah and do you think like uh, it can change the form or format like you know from like just writing to like podcasts and or other platform like you know video blog or something like that. Do you think that it will keep the, you know, the insight or the seriousness of the piece? Yeah, I think all formats, I think, I think, um, I think having different formats is, is actually a positive. Um, I don't think we lose anything if we're expanding into podcasts or, you know, uh, visual formats. I don't think we lose anything by moving into those kinds mm-hmm. of areas. But, um, I do think that there still has to be a place for long form written reviews. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't, yeah, I mean, that's, that's how I, I feel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yeah uh, sorry. Go ahead. Um, I also feel like criticality doesn't always have to be about a show. So it can always mm-hmm. be a condition that we're living in or a policy or, you know, um, this commentary about the value of arts kind of thing. And, and, and I think at Articulator, we try to do like that a little bit to push the idea of criticality um, a lot more as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Because, I think, because I think like we have also been trying to think about criticality as like something that anyone can hone. Uh, and it's partially why we were doing like the public events, like Critics Live that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that I think you, you all attended the Displaced Person Welcome dinner yeah. that mm-hmm. we did yeah. at the end. So that's also part right. of like uh, mm-hmm. make people like criticism is part of like your everyday life. Like you can um, exercise it like like mm-hmm. a muscle. Like you know what I mean. So mm-hmm. yeah. um, let's go back a bit. We talked. We mentioned. We talked a bit about independence arts media. Why do you think it needs to be independent? And is it difficult with government funding in Singapore to be independent when it comes to criticism? Yeah, I think anytime you take money, right, from a private company or a sponsor, the government, it becomes difficult. There will be times, because especially because, you know, the arts kind of space is quite small. And there will be times when you have to ask uncomfortable questions if you take your role as an, you know, as arts media seriously. There will be times when you will have to write about controversies that your funder, whether it's the government or a sponsor, might be involved in. Um, and to be credible, you to have credibility, then you have to also try to maintain your independence. Um, so yes, it is it is difficult. It's for us, it's not been impossible. I mean, we haven't had um, you know uh, an antagonistic relationship by any means with um, the National Arts Council, and you know, but certainly there have been conversations where we have, I think, respectfully held our ground. And, um, and yeah, so that's, that's just the way it is, you know, but there, there have also been times, I mean, I, I won't, I won't say that there have not been times when, you know, we have also kind of considered the, the moment we have considered, you know, and actually just to, as an example, for example, when COVID hit, right, I mean, Nabila and I had these conversations about, 
you know, is this the time to, to also kind of be writing hard-hitting critical pieces about the arts, the artworks or the artists, right? It didn't feel that, you know, that was the time. And I don't see that as being biased or not independent. I think that is, you know, reading the room and being part of, of, um, of something, being part of an ecosystem where you want to be critical, but also you want to always ensure that, um, that there is a sense of, of encouraging and growth mm-hmm. as part of the process. Mm. Mm. It's, it's also like being an independent anything, right? Like uh, in Singapore, like independent artists in Singapore have to get funding from the government and, and like those, all those things will have to coexist and then you have to find your way through it. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you're a rich person who can fund all your artworks, you know what I mean? And do whatever you want. But even then you can't because in Singapore you have to apply for licensing. So it's always like something that you are going to be, um, you know, faced with. Um, yeah. and, and with with, in, with media, with independent media, it's, a, like it's the same thing as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how supportive are the arts community about arts criticism in Singapore? Is there a demand for a robust culture of criticism among arts journalists and artists? Um, the arts community has been very supportive. I think from day one, they have been, they've embraced Arts Equator and, um, you know, been very open to what we've been trying to do. Um, by and large, I think artists understand and support the need for a platform that publishes criticism. And it's not easy, of course, because we have published criti- you know, critical negative uh, comments about some of the artists' work who have in turn come, back, come out and really support us. Not all of them, mm-hmm. but yes, generally we've had a lot of support. I think partly because um, the need, everyone understands and feels the need and I think the other part is that there is a sense that we, you know, our, where we come from is, uh, is, is from a point of, you know, with good intentions and with a sense of being very much embedded as part of the community. Do you have anything to add, Nabil? Maybe later I'll... I'll okay, ask. okay. <laughs> Actually, the next question is for you. Um, because you're also poet and playwright and everything and you're like some of the more and more i meet people like in thailand you don't you don't find that in in the performing arts at least um but um in singapore you alfian um a few more people who are both critics and artists how do you navigate these roles as as an editor as well right actually it's funny because um i used to be from the streets times and doing work there and it was actually harder for me in the straits times because of um like maybe how people perceive like state media um and the kind of reviewing that that uh, the straits times did was more like kind of like from an expert you know expert point of view which mm-hmm. um as kathy was kind of saying with arts equator we see uh, reviews and critical writing in kind of a different uh, in a different dynamic we have a different dynamic with the artists so for me, it uh, that helps and it makes it easier for me at, at Arts Equator because we recognize subjectivity, like mm. we are not objective, um, you know, like we, we use the word I, like I use the word I a lot right. in the review. Mm. So everyone knows where I come from or where I'm coming from. Or if not, like I always try to, um, you know, say it or mention it because I can't run away from it, right? Like everyone knows that I'm a playwright or I'm a whatever. And for me, it just becomes like part of my identity. 
um, of course it makes it like trickier, I suppose. Um, but it, but it becomes part of your craft, I think. So um, if part of your craft is is trying to navigate your different identities, then that makes your review, you know, sound a certain way. And then Kathy's reviews sound a different way because of like her other identities or you know things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it hasn't been difficult per se. But of course, like and this is a quite a conversation I've had with Kathy when um, I interviewed at Arts Equator because she asked me this question as well you know um and we said if if ever if ever we feel like oh there's a there's a production that i'm very close to these people and and i shouldn't be reviewing it then then of course like she will tell me or i will know and then we get someone else to review it so at least there's a bit of an arm's length thing there where we do recognize that there can be um there can be conflicts uh of of uh sorry we call it conflicts of interest um, interest But you guys have also um, commissioned criticism from artists, right? I remember my friend Eugene Tan, Becca DeBus, you've also hired him to write a review about something that has to do with drag and all of that. Do you, do you some, from time to time commission artists to write um, criticism or reviews? Yeah, a lot. They bring us. They bring a skill set, right? They bring. They bring knowledge. Um, so they write. Also, I think their their writing is richer. Like when you get back at the bus, for example, when he mm. writes about drag, it's not just a review, but it's it's a really, it's it's it gives you a kind of sense of of breath and about the genre itself, right? It's not just about that particular show, mm. which. Um, I think it's sometimes hard to find, let's say, a generalist reviewer who can give you that, that depth. Mm-hmm. Con- context as well, right? Mm-hmm. Context. Mm-hmm. I also think it's because like reviews and critical writing are also part of like documenting the arts and the art scene. So mm-hmm. if you have informed pieces with a lot of context, then someone reading it like five, ten years down the, the road, or not just five, ten, but you know, way mm-hmm. in the future, Um, if the world still exists, um, yeah. would be able to read all these things and have such a rich uh, kind of understanding of what what happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Are you interested in? Sorry, one more. I'm interested <laughs> in the idea of um, sort of training some artists to become writer or to become mm-hmm. critics. I mean, artists are critics in their in their own way, and some some artists have one artist has even told me, oh, but critics are also latent artists. Um, mm. Do you have any interest? Do you guys have any interest in like training or being a platform that sort of help cultivate criticism or like criticism writing among artists? I well, I'll answer first. Nabila might have okay. a different answer from. Me. <laughs> um, I I don't think we. I personally don't think we know. We've set out. To mm-hmm. kind of create that kind of hybrid, but what we have found is that artists who are interested in developing a critical voice have come to us. Mm. You know, it, it's not yeah. It's more that um, if they might have that desire, then I think we're a good place for them to come to um, to maybe develop that a little bit. Um, but yeah, not something. Yeah. That's mm. been a focus for me. Mm. Nabila, your perspective might be quite different. Mm. I mean, I agree with you, but I was going to say that like, I've heard from artists who also review, 
who say that um, being a critic is just part of like the things that they do as an artist. You know, like it's kind of, mm-hmm. it's kind of what they bring to the table includes mm-hmm. um, writing reviews. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there was something else, but I forgot. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> It's okay. It's late. It's late. <laughs> and go ahead. Okay. So after the fundraising, what are your plans for us, Equator? Or do you have like specific goal after this? Or dreams? Pro- dream projects? <laughs> dream projects. Sleep. <laughs> okay. Um, so I'm reading my, let's see. Um, I think we, we, we have to relook our operations, I think, to make sure that we can go back to reviewing you know, and publishing original articles. Um, we, yeah, so we want to kind of get right back into it. Um, the funds that we've raised, it won't solve all of our of our, our financial issues. What it's done is it's actually bought us some time. It's bought us some time so that we can spend the next maybe six months also looking for other ways to raise more income to keep us going. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think... Um, the I mean, I've always felt this, right, coming from a kind of arts management background, that it's really important for arts organizations to diversify their income. That, you know, it's, if, you're, if you're a single source organization where your money is only coming from either the state or from a sponsor um, or from private sector donations, mm-hmm. then you are in a very vulnerable position. So ideally for me, I think I would like to have Arts Equator after this fundraising, I think we, I would like to find a way for us to diversify our income. So, you know, a combination of reader support, private sector donations, state grants, ad sales, and then project management. Mm. Um, yeah, that would be, because the hustle just, you, we still have to hustle, right? <laughs> yeah. Maybe just to add, I think, like, yes. personally, like, it would be really great if we can find a way to sustain ourselves to cover more of the region um, because we, we do try to do it but often it's, it becomes like oh my god like I need to cover this country oh no now that country and then okay this country yeah. and because Southeast Asia is quite big as well mm-hmm. so even like one article per country that is not sufficient for some countries you know they are very diverse and rich yeah. ecosystems and, and that to me is something that I you know I wish we, we had the capacity to do like all the time Mm-hmm. 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 Alright. Like, I'm curious about talking about the region. Do you think like um the language is also the barrier? That's why like you know arts critics doesn't like combine at as one and be that strong in this region. Yeah, language is language is definitely an issue. And then and then with language comes class, right? Because mm-hmm. a lot of times um, you know, so you have it, the, the our common language is all English. Mm. And that already means that we're all of a certain kind of class, generally yeah. speaking, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's limiting, um, limiting in terms of readers and also limiting in terms of like our, our worldviews. Mm. So language is an issue. We have been able to publish articles in Malay and Bahasa Indonesia. Mm. Um, and we would like to do more. Uh, yes, yes, language is an issue. Mm-hmm. And you would have you would need more money to translate as well, to translate, right? like, or yeah. to find someone yeah. to find articles for you to yeah yeah to translate. Uh, yeah. 
I mean, ideally, if we if there were if there was funding, then you know, there's nothing to stop. For example, let's say an article an article that you wrote for us, let's say you know you could write it in Thai, that and then we could just pay for the translation and publish it in English. Right. So you know it you know that, but it is about funding at the moment. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, guys. Um, let's go to the last part. The questions that we, we did not send you in the lightning round. We always do this game thing. Oh my god! Yeah, it's a surprise. <laughs> Usually, we like we come up with like our own questions, but this time we want to mm -hmm. try the Proust questionnaire. Um, I'm <laughs> let's. We, we picked questions that you may be able to answer quickly. So that you know, and nothing too personal. <laughs> so shall we begin? And let's go. Um, Kathy first, and then Namila second, with every question. <laughs> um, just 10 questions. Uh, first one, what are your favorite names? Oh, Akila, my daughter's name. Farah? <laughs> Farah, uh, okay. Who are your favorite writers? Zadie Smith um, for fiction. And, uh, oh gosh, I feel so bad. This, oh yes, and um, at the moment, Eka Kurniawan from Indonesia, mm. who I'm totally in love with at the moment. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> uh, Hari Shaman. Mm -hmm. What's the second one, sorry? Tan Tan Hao. Oh. <laughs> yeah. What is your favorite occupation? Um... Arts busybody. <laughs> uh, writer. If you could change one thing about the arts ecosystem, what would it be? Mm, for artists to be valued as valued as um, venture capitalists and accountants. Um, um, <clears throat> Wait, what was the question? <laughs> if you could change one thing about the arts ecosystem, what would it be? Hmm. Uh, less divisions. What is your most treasured possession? I don't have any possessions that are very... No, I don't have any possession that's very treasured, I think. <laughs> okay. People, yeah, people. <laughs> Yeah, maybe uh, like a ring my mother gave me. Oh, <laughs> go ahead, Anne. Which which words or phrases do you most overuse? Which what? Oh, which words or phrases do you most overuse? I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same and kind of. Uh, okay. What is your greatest extravagance? Oh, gosh. <laughs> That's a really hard one. What's my greatest extravagance? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I need to be more extravagant. Um, <laughs> like really good food. Mm. Yeah, really good food. <laughs> uh, I should have said something like books, but yes, food. <laughs> okay, food. <laughs> Um, uh, indulging my own procrastination. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, where where would you most like to live? 
I like living in Singapore. So I'm, I think I'm, I'm where I, I, I think I am where I, I'm happy now. Okay. Yeah, same. same. Oh. <laughs> okay, which talent would you most like to have? Oh, um, to draw, to re really be a really amazing artist. Wow. <laughs> oh my God, every critic is a frustrated artist. <laughs> <laughs> A latent artist. <laughs> uh, I think um, keeping the deadlines. Wow. Okay, you so. do keep the deadlines. Come on. <laughs> yeah. So the last question, what is your current state of mind? Oh, I'm anxious because I'm preparing for a talk on Friday that I've still not done. Wow. <laughs> mm. Yeah, um, general anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> oh. COVID anxiety. Yes. <laughs> All right. Thank you, guys. Can you tell us where we can follow Arts Equator and where we can donate um, to, to fundraise this yes. um, Safe Arts Equator? So you can go to artsequator.com for our articles and our podcasts, some fantastic articles and pieces. And to donate, you can go to giving.sg g-i-v-i-n-g.sg and do a search for arts equator any last word like about arts equator or you know arts ecosystem that you want to like express um okay i wish everyone um who's listening is safe and that um i hope to see y'all all in a theater space together soon Nabila? Yeah, um, I guess things are really hard now and we're all trying our best to find, you know, our answers and, and ways through it. Um, but I think that we will see the other side uh, hopefully soon. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so you. much. It was really fun. Thank yes. you. Thank you. <laughs>